Are you recording now? Recording. <laughs> this is gonna sound weird. Things are about to get weird. Just get to the murder. I uh, should we start recording? Yes, we definitely should start. Let's cut down on the chit chat this week because I have no idea. I feel like anytime we talk about true crime, I feel like it gets longer than if we talk about ghosts. This is true. Mine is like kind of longer today, but it's also not incredibly long. But hi, welcome to This Is Gonna Sound Weird, a podcast where we talk about true crime, paranormal, Bigfoot, Sasquatch, uh, anything. You know, any of that. Anything weird. Basically anything that you will have like a TV show on like History Channel or True TV, you know, anything like that. Anything. Uh, I'm Taylor. And I'm Sydney. And evidently, we are very tired from the weekend because Taylor keeps going and saying something, and then I look at her, and then I will reply, and then she just looks at me, almost as if we just assume that y'all can hear our thoughts. Well, my brain has been thoroughly tested this weekend and this week. This morning, I... We were talking with my law school professor, and we all were so out of sorts that we all just kept going, don't you think... And the professor was like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. He was like, he basically was like, I don't even know how to answer y'all's question because you were not even making sentences. So yeah, it's been a long, it's been a long week. Yeah. This morning at work, I tried to uh, answer the phone like, hey, thank you for calling. This is my name. I was like, <laughs> and I actually had to go, I'm so sorry. And then I had to like repeat it. The guy on the other end la- was laughing so hard. He was like, I can't get it together. <laughs> he was like, I'm so sorry. I feel that. And so my story today, like I told Sydney, I did not get to read over it. So I'm not really sure how it's going to turn out. Well, I, I finished mine up this morning. Um, so hopefully it'll make sense. Hopefully it'll, at the very least, even if it like the sentences that I typed out don't make sense. Hopefully I'll remember for the most part what I wrote and what I meant had said. Yeah. And I can just fucking tell you. That's kind of what I'm hoping as well. Um, but who knows? It really could go either way. Hey, this is oh, why oh, <laughs> she got an email. That's how you know we're actually recording this. Yes. But, um, yeah, so th- this week's theme, hu- Hungry Murders, is that what we decided? Yes. So, um, this is going to be a little weird because I feel like last week... I was supposed to go first, but we did Bigfoot, and you did the history of Bigfoot, so I feel like we're kind of out of sorts. So do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? I feel like you can go first, because I think I've gone first the last two. Okay. And you know, if people really hate listening to me... Then they'll hate listening to me even more. So they can listen to you first, um... In, ca- in case they hate listening to me, and then when they turn it on and they're like, Taylor's going first. God, I have to cut this whole thing off. I can't listen. So, yeah, you can go first. <laughs> All right, yeah. So, um, when I, this may be a little long, so while we're recording, if you see that time stamp and you're like, good lord, just give me that little wrap it up and okay. I'll just like talk really fast, like at the end of car commercials. Okay. What's, what's, your, page, what's your page numbers? That's a good indicator. <sighs> Mine is five pages, but that doesn't okay. mean anything because. Okay. You know, different font sizes. That's true. Um, spacings, things uh, okay. of that nature. Okay. So, you know, like, are you using Google Docs? Are you using Word document? We don't know. It's all different. But I'm just going to go right and tell you what I, my story is. 
I went a little different. I I felt that maybe you were going to go a little bit uh, towards the cannibalism. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Without giving anything away. Uh, So I decided to go with something a little different. And when I was researching a different murder a few weeks ago, uh, this came up and I was like, never heard of that before. So I'm doing mine on the Taco Bell Strangler. You ever heard of him? No, I have not. So it actually took place in Charlotte, North Carolina. For those of you who, uh, maybe this is your first episode, we are based out of North Carolina, so this is kind of close to home. Yes. So, right off the bat, my sources. You can already guess. Wikipedia. But I also use the ClarksvilleNow.com and then a documentary called Bad Henry that I found on YouTube. Okay. And then I also got a web. There was a website from this bail bondsman website. <laughs> it was called DDL Bail Bonds and Consulting. Okay. So I used uh, an article on their website. <laughs> so I guess if you ever need uh, to be bailed out of jail, <laughs> I'm a caller. Check, check them out. So Henry Wallace was born in Barnwell, South Carolina. Harry's father left his mother Lottie shortly, shortly, God, (laughs) shortly, shortly, after he found out she was pregnant. So Henry was raised by a single mom and his mother worked long hours as a textile worker and was very strict on Wallace growing up and was very critical over little mistakes that he might make. Mm. So that being said, you know, Wallace, he was a pretty good kid. Considering, I mean, he probably had to be, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah You'll fine. learn today. So, uh, he was very active in school. He was pretty social. He was a cheerleader and was actually elected to student council. Wow. I'm, Popular kid. Oh, my goodness. So, after high school, Wallace joined the Navy and married his high school sweetheart, Marita Bradholm. And we never, we never really, this was about the, all the information I have on this bitch. Okay, well. <laughs> Oh, well. <laughs> she's not uh, a main character. Of course she's not. The lady's never the main character in this story. God dang it. So, while in the Navy, Wallace began abusing drugs mm-hmm. and was served several warrants for burglary while living in the Seattle metro metro area. So, I'm okay. assuming that that was maybe where he was stationed. Yeah, probably. Um, and so, he was getting in trouble, I guess, for burglarizing places to fund his drug habits. Yes. He was arrested for breaking into a hardware store and a charge that he pled guilty to in 1988 and was sentenced to a two-year span of probation. And in 1992, he was honor- dis- he was on- honorably discharged from the Navy. Okay. Um, so, which is interesting. You would think with that sort of rap sheet, he would be dis- dishonorably Unless they found out, I don't know, sometimes if there's like a... Like a depression? Yeah, or like a mental illness at play, you can do honorably discharged if somehow, maybe in his defense, he used something such as that. Mm-hmm. So, he was originally from South Carolina, lived in Seattle for a little bit, and then ended up actually settling in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is where the rest of the story takes place. Okay. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Charlotte, North Carolina, or just North Carolina in general, Charlotte is kind of on the South Carolina-North Carolina border, Um, and it's a fairly large city. It's not the capital of North Carolina, but it does have a lot of shit. It's got Carowinds, which is like a theme park. It's got the NASCAR Hall of Fame. It's got, I think, the only Ikea in North Carolina. Yes, it is the only Ikea, because I want to go to it, but... I really don't want to make the trip. It's an all-day affair. Yeah. 
Uh, but, I mean, I think their slogan, their tourism slogan is, Charlotte's got a lot. And they do, in fact. They, they have a do lot. have a lot. <laughs> but uh, Charlotte's really changed. Uh, in the, this would probably be, what, about the past 30 years? Because this story takes place in the 90s. At the time, Charlotte was a very violent city. Yeah. And in the documentary that I watched, they said that the homicide rate in the span of, like, one year went from, like, 30 to 100. Ooh, buddy. Which is, like, a, a lot, but it's even more because it rose so quickly. Yeah. So, the, I think the mo- majority of these homicides was due to the crack epidemic. Yeah. So, the police at the time were very overwhelmed. They basically were just finding dead bodies all the time. And in the documentary, the homicide detective said, and I quote, Everybody's a crackhead. Everybody is looking for something so they can sell on the street. Well, you know, this is when the war on drugs started Mm -hmm. and crack was, you know. You know, this is your brain on crack. Yes, it was. Which, if you've ever watched the documentary The 13th, it gives you a great rundown of the crack epidemic and how, like, it was used to target, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like people of color in their neighborhoods, mm-hmm. so very bad. And, yeah. I mean, I guess it makes sense that it was happening in Charlotte because I feel like it took place in, like, big cities. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the sort of racial issues will come into play in this case. Okay. So, on March 8th, 1990, uh, Wallace murdered a high school student by the name of Tashanda Betha? Betha? Couldn't say. Okay. Uh, he then dumped her body in a lake in his hometown where her body was not found for several weeks. And this was around the time his marriage was falling apart. Oh. Um, and he had been fired from his job as a chemical operator for a chemical company. Oh, that sounds that? like a fancy job. I mean, I couldn't say. Anything I chemical sounds fancy. <laughs> I, they wouldn't have let me do it. Uh, no, not me either. So... In November of 1991, he moved to Charlotte where he got different jobs at different fast food restaurants. Okay. Uh, one of them being Taco Bell. Hence, Yummy. <laughs> hence the Taco Bell Strangler. Yes. In May of 1992, Wallace picked up Sharon Nance, who was a sex worker uh, for a sexual encounter. But after he picked her up, you know, they spent the evening together. She wanted to be paid for her services, which... Obviously. Obviously. And Wallace refused to pay her. So, what does he do? He beats her to death. Uh, okay. So, he leaves her body alongside a rail, a set of railroad tracks, and mm-hmm. she's found several days later. And the police noted that this particular mor- murder was very violent, as if the killer had a lot of rage. So, I'm assuming that he probably was very frustrated by the fact that she wanted to get paid... Uh, and just was an asshole, um, essentially. Because it was yeah. interesting, in the documentary, the homicide detective was actually friends with this woman. Like, he said that, like, when oh. he moved to Charlotte, she was one of the people that showed him compassion in this mm-hmm. big city. Um, so he's, like, the homicide detective who was on this case took this very, like, hard. Which is interesting, because I feel like in a lot of cases, when, like, the victims are sex workers... They're like, don't pay any attention. But I know Charlotte's not a small town, but I feel like sometimes in the South, you know, you know people around town. Yeah, it's one of those things in the South, they're big cities, but they still have kind of small town vibes, especially when it comes to like 
politics and yeah. municipal, like, I don't know, what would you call that? Municipal things. Something. <laughs> So, in June of 1992, Caroline Love had just finished her evening shift at Bojangles and had started walking home. On her walk, her friend Rob saw her walking home and offered her a ride back to her apartment. That was the last time anyone saw Caroline alive. Mm -hmm. Caroline didn't show up to work the following days, which is very unlike her. She was one of those people you could always count on. And when family hadn't heard from her, they decided to file a missing persons report. Police went to Caroline's apartment but found nothing... Wallace had been led into his into Caroline's apartment by Caroline because they knew each other as friends. She was friends with Wallace's girlfriend at the time. Mm. Uh, there, he raped and strangled Caroline and left her body in a wooded area. And police wouldn't locate her body until almost two years later. Two years? So they didn't even really put it together that maybe she had been murdered because this is what's so fucked up if you're like over the age of 18 and you go missing they're like well she probably just ran away yeah but like i mean people knew her she was reliable and they just sort of like i feel like well yeah i'm gonna say it now if i ever go missing i have not run away because i'm too scared to run away so please come find me i'd like to also go on record if i go missing I, I'm going to say I probably didn't run away. Unless somebody was chasing me. So If, if I run away, I'm going to say, I'm running away. That's it. She's going to pack a PB&J and run away to join the circus. Similar to what you do when you're about five. Yes. So, On February 19th, 1983, Shauna Hawk's mother, Dee, arrives home to find her daughter's car is not in the driveway. She found this odd because Shauna was, again... A reliable gal. Mm-hmm. She came She came home when she was needing to. So, Shauna calls... Uh, no, D calls Shauna's boyfriend, Darren, who says that he hasn't seen Shauna all day. So, then D receives a call from a family friend. So, mm-hmm. Shauna typically every day drops off her godson off at daycare and then picks him back up, drops him back home off at parents' house. Yeah. Um, but she didn't do it that day. Mm-hmm. So, this is when they're really starting to get freaked out. So, Dee and Darren begin to get worried and search the house. And this is where they find Shauna's body upstairs in the bathtub. But she was fully clothed and the water was cold. Oh. And you would think, oh, maybe she was drowned. Yeah. But actually, she was strangled because there was no water in her lungs. So, that means that whoever killed her had strangled her and then filled the bathtub up with water and then put her in there. And she had been in there for a couple hours. And she was in her own home? Yes. She was okay. upstairs in her own home. Okay. There was no sign of forced entry. And fingerprints had been wiped from different surfaces. Because they tried to dust for fingerprints in, like, the bathroom, the front door. Um, but they didn't find anything. So they could tell that somebody had had time to kind of clean things up. Yeah. And members of Shauna's family insisted that she would not have let a stranger in, which that makes sense. When you're a woman at home alone, there ain't no way you're going to let somebody in that you don't know. Even an old lady never let her in. Unless she looks like she's running from somebody. Yes, true. Even then, ask a few questions first. Yeah. So... (laughs) Give her... Unless you see somebody in the background, like, just, like, running up to her... Don't let her in. It could still be a ploy, though. This could—you're not wrong. She'd be trying to say it, like say she's selling a vacuum, but really she's just trying to kidnap you. Yes. 
So at the time, Shauna's boyfriend, Darren, was the initial suspect because strangulation is a very personal thing. Yeah. However, police would later discover that it was Wallace who had worked with Shauna as a supervisor at Taco Taco Bell. So oh. Shauna had worked at Taco Bell and Wallace was her supervisor. Oh, okay. And so they were they were like, okay, we don't know at the time. They didn't know who had done it. All they knew was Shauna's car was gone. So a few weeks later, campus police found Shauna's car in the parking deck at a local community college. This is where she had take, been taking classes. She okay. had been there earlier that day. But the weird thing was that, one, there was no DNA or fingerprints on the car. So it had clearly been cleaned. Yeah. But then, Shauna was only about five foot, like, in height. But the car seat, like, in the driver's side, had been pushed all the way back. So they were like, clearly someone had driven this car to the parking deck to make it seem like she had just, like, I guess, like, gone up and left. Mm -hmm. Um, So they knew that her car had been moved and that somebody who had killed her knew her. Now, on June 22nd, Wallace raped and strangled his co-worker, Audrey Spain, in her bedroom, which led police to believe she knew her killer and would have let her. Like, again, would have let him in the home. Yeah. So, on August 10th, 1993, Wallace visited Valencia Jumper at her Columbia, South Carolina home. There, he raped and strangled her before setting her body on fire. Oh, my gosh. But this, police would never be able to figure out, like, how this connected because they just assumed that this death was an accident. I guess maybe they thought she... Had fallen asleep with a candle on. But I'm like, why wouldn't you still do an autopsy? I feel like wouldn't there still be, like, I don't know, like, trauma of the neck if she was strangled? But I still feel like, well, they definitely should have done an autopsy to figure that out. But I feel like even in that case, they may have not connected it to the other ones. Because it seems like he's got similar things he's doing. But Mm -hmm. a lot of it, it's he's switching up. So it would be difficult to say for sure. And this one's in Columbia, South Carolina, which... Charlotte's close to South Carolina, but it's still not, I feel like, close enough to where Mm -hmm. you would necessarily associate it. But this is the fucked up part, is that Wallace would later attend Valencia's funeral with his sister. Jesus. Because his sister was friends with Valencia. Then, a month later, in September of 1993, Wallace visited his friend and co-worker Michelle Stinson at her apartment. Michelle was a single mother who lived alone with her two sons, and when police searched the home, they found that there was no sign of forced entry, and that Michelle had been raped, strangled, and stabbed in front of her oldest son. Oh, god! But I think he was still fairly young, so I think he was able to give a statement, but I feel like uh, it, he was, you know, all he knew was mommy got hurt. Got hurt. Around this time, Shauna Hawk's mother, Dee, had started a support group for mothers of murder victims. And she decided to publish a letter in the local paper directed towards the killer. Around this time, Dee also made statements accusing the police of not prioritizing the death of these young women, stating that if some of these faces were white, maybe these cases would be getting solved. And Which, so, all, so all of these women were African-American women? Yes. Okay. Um, and I think in the documentary, they had talked about, like, especially with... Um, Caroline, mm-hmm. the fact that she was picked up off the street. Yeah. They were like, oh, well, maybe she's a sex worker. But I'm like, even if she was, she was still brutally murdered. Yeah. It was, yeah, it doesn't really matter. But I feel like they 
maybe it was because the police were so overwhelmed with cases, they were like, oh, it's a crack, it's a crack, crack, crack. Yeah, I just can't. Which, like, or just won't. Yeah. Which is odd to me that with all these different murders, which maybe this was going on, like, all over the United States. Yeah. That they wouldn't have maybe called in, like, some reinforcements, either from other cities or maybe even the FBI. Um, but on February 21st, 1994, a neighbor stopped by the apartment of Vanessa Mack in the early morning because her neighbor every day would come and take the kids for the day so Vanessa could go to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and she found that the door to the apartment was unlocked and she was like, what the heck? So she comes in, she's like, Vanessa, what's going on? The door's unlocked. You know, you don't need to be mm-hmm. alone with two kids. And she finds... Vanessa's infant daughter was alone in the living room. Oh, no. Uh, and then she found Vanessa's body in the bedroom. God. Police determined that Vanessa had been raped and strangled, with this being the most violent strangulation yet. So, her face was bright red um, because the veins in her face had burst. Oh, my gosh. And so, basically, I don't know. I guess they determined this at the autopsy, that he maybe had strangled her and then would let go and let her sort of catch her breath, and yeah. and then he would strangle her again, and then he would let off, oh my and God. then he would do it again until eventually she just died. So her face was bright red because her, the veins in her face had burst. That sounds so terrible. Because you think yes. when you get strangled, I mean, never done it, but you would think at some point, I mean, you would rather it just all be in one mm-hmm. thing, because I feel like at some point the pain subsides when you pass out. Mm-hmm. But in that situation, you would have to go through the initial pain and then stop, and then that's just awful. Yes. And the fucked up part about this is I'm like, you knew her. I like, know. Like, it's not, like, I don't know. Like, I guess, like, since he's, like, he's obviously not well. No. But I'm like... On some level, you know who she is. Maybe I mean, maybe that was part of it. Like, yeah. I don't know, doing it to people he knew was, like, his thing? I don't know. I don't know. But Wallace had known Vanessa through her sister, who was a co-worker of Wallace. Uh, and police found that Vanessa's bank card had been taken, so they searched for charges on the card and found that it had been used at an ATM. So then they searched for that ATM footage. And they, they couldn't determine... Like, who had used the card, but they could make out that whoever used the card at the ATM was wearing a, like, dangly cross earring. Okay. And that was all they got off of that. Then, on March 8th, 1994, Wallace entered the home of Betty Bochum, who was a co-worker of Wallace's girlfriend and mother. Wallace raped and strangled Betty before leaving in Betty's car. Police put an APB on the car, and once they located it, they dusted it for fingerprints, but couldn't find anything on the inside. So then they decided they were going to dust the whole outside. They dusted the sides. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they found a palm print on the trunk. Um. They determined that it belonged to Wallace. Then, only a few hours later, after he killed Betty, mm-hmm. uh, he in the same like apartment complex, he went over to Brandy Henderson's apartment. Brandy was a student and new mother, so she was at home with her 10-month-old son. God. He raped and strangled her as she held her son. Oh, God. Then he attempted to strangle her baby son with, like, a piece of cloth, Mm -hmm. because typically with the victims, he would use, like, a towel or a shirt. So he tried to do that to the baby, but luckily was unsuccessful. 
So Wallace left with some valuables that he planned to pawn so that he could afford mm-hmm. some more crack. Then Brandy's boyfriend, Lamar, arrives home from a night of work. He finds Brandy's body uh, and discovers that somebody has attempted to also strangle the son. Luckily, he's able to untie the cloth, mm-hmm. but he is just so shook. I don't understand why he would try to strangle the baby in that case. I mean, it's a baby. I mean, clearly he has no thought pattern, but it seems almost as if he's, like, escalating. Because mm-hmm. he's left children in the past. Yeah. And he's left children older than, like, an infant. Yeah. And it's weird. I, I don't know if maybe he just did it because, like, she was holding him when it all happened or what. But police question Lamar, who's the boyfriend, uh, and ask him, is there anyone that Brandy would have let in? Yeah. You know, is there anyone you can think of that she would let in if you weren't home? And so he gives three names, and one of those names was Henry Wallace. Mm-hmm. So they pull up a file on Henry Wallace, and they find that, obviously, he has some mugshots from his previous arrest. Mm-hmm. And they determine that he has the same little cross earring oh. from the ATM footage. So this is when they all start putting it together. That maybe this is all one killer. Yeah. Which, again, I get that this was like, there was homicides all the time. But I'm like, you wouldn't you find it odd that all these women are dying of strangulation? Because in the documentary, they talk about how strangulations are very few and far between. You maybe yeah. get one strangulation case a year. And typically, it's uh, like a domestic violence case. Yeah, I feel like if it had something to do with like the... Like, the crack epidemic, I feel like usually when people would kill... Like, if you kill somebody over, like, drugs, you would probably, I don't know, like, stab them or shoot them. Just more in, like, a, I just need you to get out of my way right now. Yeah, it's not necessarily a personal thing. I think stimulation yeah. is very personal. Yeah. There's a lot of rage behind yeah. it. So, police then decide to interview Wallace's girlfriend, Sadie McKnight. And she agreed that Wallace was a very nice guy that any woman would have let in. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because essentially, like, he was just, like, like kind of like a brother to most of these women. Like, mm-hmm. he had never made a pass at them. You know, they could trust him. Yeah. That he would listen to their, them complain about their boyfriends. So, like, they all felt very comfortable. Maybe he came over to, like, help them work on something. Especially if these women yeah. were, some of these women were single. Maybe, like, oh, I need help hanging something. Or mm-hmm. my toilet's not running or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, she did say that she was trying to keep Wallace on the straight and narrow because he did have a drug issue. But, I like, in her opinion, he had a good heart. Okay. So, obviously, he was playing these people like a fiddle. Yes. So, around this time, Wallace robbed and strangled Deborah Ann Slaughter, who had been a co-worker of his girlfriend, Sadie, and stabbed her 38 times in the stomach and chest. Jeez. Her body was found on March 12th, 1994. So, clearly, he is getting worse. Yeah. They're getting more violent, more prolonged. Yeah. So, then, the next day, Wallace is arrested. And then, police interrogate him for around 12 hours. Mm Mm-hmm. And eventually, they end up getting him to confess. So he confesses to the murders of the 10 women in Charlotte, as well as the murder of Valencia Jumper, which they were like, who, who like in Charlotte, they're like, who is yeah. that? And she was, he was like, well, that's the girl from South Carolina. So during the investigation, Wallace ended up praying with detectives. Oh. I think that's like how they ended up getting him to like finally admit it, uh, okay. is that he was like, I've done a bad thing. And so they're like, let's pray together. Uh 
Uh, again, Bible Belt. Yeah, you think that'll fix everything. You just pray about it. It won't. It, won't. it will <laughs> not bring back those ten women. So, then he proceeded to write down the names of those he had murdered. Uh, and then he proceeded to lead detectives to the place where he had left Caroline Love's body. So, mm-hmm. in the documentary, uh, the main homicide detective specifically was like, talking about how shook he was about the fact that he was sitting in the back of a car with this serial killer mm-hmm. who literally was like, take a left here, take a right here. Yeah. And then walked them through the woods where she was. That actually kind of happens in my case, too. Which I think they do that sometimes with a lot of cases if they're, like, really, like, need to find a body. Yeah, because like it, it definitely helps, I feel like, the victim's family get yeah. some closure. Because you got to think, they had a funeral for her, but th- there was no closure. Yeah. So the community was shocked by the news that Wallace was the man behind these murders. Because, again, he, he was friends with all of them, so they were like, what? Like, this is the weirdest part. He attended most of their funerals. Ugh. Like, in the documentary, it was so sad because victims of family members, Mm -hmm. they would talk about, like, he hugged me. Ugh. He hugged me and said, I'm so sorry for what's happened. Oh, my God. So, it was so sad seeing that. And then in 1994, police asked the FBI for assistance, um, like, trying to come up, like, Mm -hmm. with a case for the trial. Uh, But the FBI said that the murders were not the work of a serial killer. To which I wrote in my notes, bitch what? <laughs> How not? Um, they they were talking more about like, I don't know, like his mental illness or something. But I was like, but the, the, to me. You're still a serial killer. Yeah. And he's in the list of United States serial killers. So I don't really know. That's weird. Yeah. Um, but I did find it interesting that they wanted his help, like the FBI's help for the trial. Because for me, I would have probably called in the FBI like, when I, we were having yeah. all these murders. Especially if they were all strangulations. Yeah. But again, this is one of those scenarios where I'm like, did the police, did they sort of neglect these cases? Possibly. And they also probably, if they did have a lot of homicide, they maybe, I don't know, people were working on different stuff. And so maybe they didn't realize that all this was kind of connected. Also, I still feel like at some point, like, serial killers like, still weren't as well-known, even though we are in the 90s. Mm-hmm. I feel like it still maybe wasn't your first thought. Well, as we know, from the several cases I've done thus far, yeah, 90s was the time for serial killers. It really is. And I feel like all the cases that we've pretty much done have been 90s. Mm-hmm. But when I think about serial killers, I typically think 70s. Mm-hmm. But I think that's just because of, like, the real famous ones yeah. or infamous, not famous. And I feel like this the ones in the 70s were very much the ones that the FBI specifically, like, like wanted to study. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so those are the ones we get time and time yeah. again. But still insane that, like, even, like, in the 90s, I know that was almost 30 years ago but like that still doesn't seem doesn't that, seem that long ago like we were alive in the 90s yeah so. so wallace's trial was delayed over the next two years over choice of venue dna evidence from the murder victims and jury selection okay because i think um they probably wanted very specific jury members mm-hmm. especially with this being a case that involved a bit of like racial injustice yeah um so they probably needed to be a bit selective about that 
During his trial, psychologist Faye Sultan testified during the trial that Wallace was a constant victim of physical and mental abuse from his mother since birth and that he suffered from mental illness at the time of the killing. She argued that a life sentence would be better without parole than the death penalty. But, like, here's my thing. Like, yes, he probably had some mental illness, but I'm also like, what... What what's the difference between like him and another serial killer that had something else? You know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, I feel like you're just gonna argue whatever you think will be best. But my thing with, I mean, I know there's a lot of nuance with the death penalty, but when you do like, if you get a death penalty, it's pretty much just a life sentence. Because I feel like a lot of people who probably get the death penalty, they don't ever actually even get like executed probably mm-hmm. because executions are so few and far between mm-hmm. so i don't know i feel um, like a lot of them probably just end up dying on death row yes they do uh also in case you didn't know just because we pay taxes you have access to the government website that'll tell you every single person that has been executed and every single person that is on death row. Um, also, I'll go a step further. You can look up just about anybody who's in prison. Really? Or anyone that's been arrested. Yes. We looked at people. Me and my mom looked at people from our hometown that we knew had <laughs> had been, like, getting, like, DUIs and stuff. Oh <laughs> so, pay your taxes. That's oh what you're getting. Okay. You're getting I pay my taxes. You're I getting that piping hot hometown tea. On January 7th, 1997, Wallace was found guilty of the nine murders, and on January 29th, he was sentenced to nine death sentences. Oh. Um, the following, following his sentencing, Wallace made a statement to his victims' families. None of these women, none of your daughters, mothers, sisters, or family members in any way deserve what they got. They did nothing to me that warranted their death. Obviously. So then on June 5th, 1998, Wallace married a former prison nurse. Oh, God. Which is fucking wild to uh. me. Her name is Rebecca. Uh, in a ceremony that was... So the ceremony literally took place next to the execution chamber okay. where he is, like, meant to be killed. Okay. That sounds like... Honestly, it sounds like he just wanted to do that for some... I don't know weird like messed up thing well you know what it also sounds like to me sounds to me like rebecca was like i'm gonna marry him and he's about to get put to death so i'm gonna get some of that social security i don't know if you get social security in that situation but i mean jokes on her because he's still on death row so after being sentenced to death in 1997 wallace has been appealing to the courts to overturn the death sentences stating that his confession was coerced and his constitutional rights were violated in the process, but all of his appeals have been overturned. Which, like, my thing is, I hear what you're saying, dude. If they did, co- like, coerce a, like, uh... <laughs> coerce? <laughs> what am I saying? <laughs> what did you say? Coerce? <laughs> what is... Coerce? <laughs> At first, I was like, nah, she just misspoke, but I'm like, no. She didn't. said it twice. <laughs> so, even if they were like trying to get it out of him, yeah. boy, you still did it. Yeah, he still did it. It's not like, like they coerce this thing out of you and then they say, but then he's like, but I didn't do it. Like, that's not. Yeah. 
So mem many members of the black community criticize police for neglecting the murders of these black women. Yes. Um, one woman stated that the police did not care because they viewed the young women uh, as fast girls who hang out a lot. And Shauna's, uh, Shauna Hawk's mother, Dee, the one who started the mm -hmm. support group, uh, she stated that the victims weren't prominent people with social economic status. They weren't special, and they were black. Yeah. So, that is the, the story of the Taco Bell Strangler. But I thought that was very interesting, especially since it happened so recently and in Charlotte. I've never heard of it. And, you know, my hometown is only, like, an hour from Charlotte. And so, I feel like I would have heard about it also. So, my parents actually lived in Charlotte before I was born. Mm -hmm. And my dad was a highway patrolman, and he worked in Charlotte. And so that would have been, like, right around that time, like, early, mid-90s. And my mom always talks about how, like, she did not want to live there. She, like, needed to get out of there. But I don't think I actually realized, like, how dangerous it was. Because, like, most days she was at home alone in, like, an apartment in downtown Charlotte. Mm -hmm. Which now, looking back on it, is crazy because I could never picture, like my family living anywhere except for like the, the backwoods of somewhere <laughs> <laughs> but uh, another crazy thing is that wallace is still on death row and he is actually housed in the raleigh prison that is located conveniently next to the nc state university campus god we've been next to him this whole time <laughs> But, hey, since you were thinking about maybe writing to an inmate, maybe you can write to him. You know what? I think I'm going to back up on that because if, like, if I had, if I did something like that and I got, like, I don't know, like, put with somebody who was like that, I don't even think, I don't think I could, yeah. like, do whatever it is you're supposed to do. It's like a restorative justice type thing mm -hmm. is what they're going for. But I don't, I don't think I could do it. I'm not nice enough. Yeah. I think about that when I watch uh, Masterminds. Yeah. And he talks to, like, Ed Kemper. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because he, like, he was so unsettled by the fact that he had done these horrible things. But he's, like, talking to him across the table. And he's like, would you like an egg salad sandwich? You Gross. Know? Like, no, I would not. But, it, like, I couldn't do it. I don't think I could either. I could maybe write to one that's, like, you know, they're just in there for, like, basic. The three-strike law or something? Yeah, like. I don't know. Terrible tax evasion <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you thank you for your story you're welcome for my story are we ready for my story no well i'm gonna tell it to you anyways all right you're just gonna have to sit here and take it okay yeah you take it okay so my sources murderpedia wikipedia and crime viral which was like i guess i think it was a website so i'm doing mine on joseph roy I've heard people say Metheny or Metheny. I'm going to say Metheny because I think that's what it, I think that's what it is. It sounds cooler. Yeah. At the very least. Well, he was born on March 2nd, 1955. Uh, in his early life, it was said that he was very much neglected by his alcoholic father, who was killed in a car accident when he was just six years old, which that has been a theme in a couple of mine where the fathers are dying in car accidents. Listen, we both have themes. I love the Mine are all in the 90s. Yours involve car wrecks. Fathers. Yeah. You, Bible Belt. Yes. Which this one actually isn't in the Bible Belt. I have shifted gears. God. So, Matheny... Also says that his mother neglected their six children while she worked double shifts outside the home. Which I wrote, 
she because he said that he that she neglected them because she worked and i was like she was probably just trying to provide for the six children since your father died yeah. but we'll, we'll get to that However, um, he did say that as a child, his parents would often send him to live with other families. So basically like an informal foster care situation. So he said that his mother neglected them because she worked, but also that she, they, she would send them to go live with other people because he said she, basically she didn't want to deal with her kids. Now, Matheny made these claims about his childhood, obviously, but his mother has a very different account of how the childhood went down. And uh, after you hear about him, I'm more inclined to believe the mother. So his mother says that they were act- they were a pretty poor family, but that she worked really hard as a waitress and a barmaid and a food truck driver to provide her children with, a, you know, a good life. So she probably wasn't at home a lot, but she was trying to feed her kids. You know, what, what a mother would do. Listen, she's just like Reba. She's a single mom who works, works too hard. hard. And so she also says that the children were never placed into other people's homes, like like Matheny had said, which I'm thinking maybe he's misconstruing, like maybe a couple days she has to go work for a while and she's like, hey, Aunt, Aunt Myra, mm-hmm. can you watch the kids for a few days? That's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm thinking that in his mind yeah. he's construed something. Yeah, and it's also like sometimes like, you know, you might go over to your grandma's, spend the night, yeah. you know what I mean? And you're thinking, oh, I'm just hanging out with grandma. This would be fun. Yeah, not my mom's pawned me off on grandma. How dare she? Because also, your grandma be giving you that good food that she- makes you fat. <laughs> In my case, anyways. She only let you watch, like, two VHSs because she ain't got cable. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Once you grow out of dragon tails, you're really, you're really out, out of luck. Yeah, my, my grandma had two. She had um, E.T. and Home Alone. Perfect. Perfect mixture. Um, And his mother also says, though, that Matheny was actually a really good student, always polite, and that she says, quote, he was smart and had a good childhood. If he was neglected, it was his own fault. It was a pretty good home. He neglected himself? Um, maybe. Or maybe she was like, you know, I tried to be here with the family, but he, I don't know, he's always up in that room on that damn phone. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's the modern version of that. Um, and so when Matheny turned 18, he, in 1973, he joined the army. According to him, he served a tour in Vietnam Mm -hmm. and had become addicted to heroin while he was working in an artillery unit there. However, his mother contradicts this story by saying that she never remembered him serving in Vietnam, but that he did serve in Germany. And But she also said that once he entered the army, she rarely had contact with him and said that he did get involved in drugs, which kind of just started making his life lead down the wrong path. Similar vibe to your guy. Went to the military, got on drugs... Listen, um, I know you you go through some shit in the military. I mean, I can see why you would. Especially if he was, if he specifically was in, in the 70s. Yeah. You know he was seeing some real shit. Yes. Okay. Now, I'm going to give you, this is what Matheny looks like. Okay? Now we're kind of getting into his later life post-military. Okay. So, he's a six foot one man. Large. He's described as having a large frame, weighs well over 400 pounds. Good God. And in the 90s, he was ironically nicknamed Tiny. So just like a big man. And if you look up pictures of him, it's clear he's huge. And in a podcast I listened to, it was like 
they kind of named the podcast after like how big he was so it's like I don't know they considered it as important I don't necessarily know if it's too important but there you have it he was large so large and in charge yeah so after he like left the military he lived in Baltimore Maryland and was spending lots of time in bars hanging out um like in homeless camps with people and he was spending most of his money on crack cocaine heroin and liquor and despite all of that though he actually held like a steady job as a forklift driver and was typically described as intelligent well-spoken and well-mannered so he had a drug problem but it wasn't necessarily affecting his everyday life do we think that like people at his work necessarily knew that he had this drug issue or do you think he was able to like keep it hidden or do you think it was more like well he can do whatever he wants after five but well so he goes back to work at this same place later on in the story and I think that it, they it seemed to me almost like it was like a friendship situation and so it was kind of like you know you're my friend I work for you maybe they did know he had a drug problem but they didn't really care because it was like he could keep his job as long as you're doing what you're supposed to do and I don't, I don't think he himself was homeless. I think he just liked to hang around those people, I think. So, now, the really um, a terrible part of the story. I went on Murderpedia, and it gives basically his confession. And so, that is what I'm going to tell you f- first. Okay. It's his account of everything that happened. And then I'll tell you, it's a slightly less... Um, detailed account but it's what was more accepted in court later so this is his account so he says it all started in 1994 at this time he was working as a truck driver and one night he was working like overnight and when he got off that night he went home as usual and when he got home he realized that his quote old lady so he didn't specify whether it was a wife a girlfriend just a partner it was just old lady just a person that lived with him i'm guessing but they had a child together Mm -hmm. so i'm just gonna stick with girlfriend okay um he'd realized that she had moved out taken everything with her including their son and he said that he didn't really care that she left but he did care that she took their son and so about six months later i don't it's, he wasn't searching for about six months, really. So it says about six months later, he found out that she had moved to the other side of town with the man, and they ended up getting in trouble for drugs, which led to the son being taken away from them by Child Protective Services for neglect and abuse. And Matheny wanted to try to get his son back, but he said he had no chance because he already had a criminal record. So basically, he was like, there's no chance. I'm going to get my son back in like in court so how dare this lady get him taken away from her mm-hmm. i'll be honest i think the son probably shouldn't have been in either situation no matter how you cut it so at this point he decided he was going to go find his ex-girlfriend and the new man she was with and he was told that they had been seen under a bridge with some people that would often like do drugs under okay. there Okay. so was it necessarily they were just hanging out or do you think that they had become homeless at that point well, I don't know, because at this point, they could have become homeless because they did get in trouble for drugs, but I think that they had probably been hanging out there before they actually got in trouble. And so, when he got there, they weren't there, but there was two other men there, and they were just, like, homeless men just sleeping on a mattress under the bridge. 
And so he decided that he was going to kill him. So he killed two men, Randall Brewer and Randy Piker, with an axe and then left them there. And he basically chopped up their bodies. Oh, my God. And he said that that same night, he decided to lure a woman under the bridge and gave her some drugs to try and get her high because he wanted to get some information about his ex because he thought... You know, I guess she was, like, maybe walking near the bridge, and he was like, well, maybe she comes here and knows something about Mm -hmm. him. Well, she said she didn't have any information. And so, he got mad she didn't have any information. He beat her, raped her, and then killed her, and placed her in some bushes nearby. He then lured another woman to try and get some more information, I guess. So, he says. Son, look her up in in the phone book. Well, I guess if she ain't got a house at this point, maybe you can I don't know. But he did the same thing to her as he did to the first woman. So, beat her and raped her and killed her. But just as he was about to go place her body in the bushes, he saw a man down near the river fishing. And the man looked up at him. And so, Matheny, having had a witness, grabbed a steel pipe that was laying nearby, ran down to the man and beat him to death with the pipe. Oh, my God. And after this, he took the two women's bodies and the man's body and placed them in the river and weighed the bodies down with rocks. So, I guess, you know, that'd be harder to find. So, I said, to put it into perspective, in one single night, he killed five people. And I'm just picturing how does this even happen? Because I don't know where the bridge is, but I would see, like, has nobody driven by, seen something weird going on? I don't know, because I feel like it depends on what kind of, like, I feel like some bridges, there is no, there's no one that lives there. Yeah. But then, like, you know, sometimes there'll be, like, houses or something. So, I'm thinking that this must be a pretty, like, quiet area. Probably nothing but, like, maybe, like, a dock or two underneath the bridge. But, I don't know. Because what city is this in? Baltimore. Yeah. So, I feel like maybe if... I don't know much about Baltimore, but maybe it's, like, over by, like, some shipping containers and stuff, and so it must be fairly quiet. Also, if you think, like, if this is where people do drugs and hang out, there probably are not that many people just, like, cruising through the area. True. And if you see something as a normal person, odds are you're probably not going to want to get involved. No. Definitely not. And so, after he killed these people, he cleaned himself in the river, and then cleaned the crime scene as much as he could, and then left. But about two weeks, two and a half weeks later, he was arrested and charged with the murders of the first two men that he killed that night. So the men on the mattress. He spent close to 18 months in the Baltimore City Jail awaiting trial. And then when it got to trial, it lasted about a, about a week. But in the end, it was dismissed. Dismissed. Wow. This who can't <laughs> speak English now. But in the end, it was dismissed for lack of evidence. Because I didn't even get into this part because it was very, like, construed. Basically, there was other people that, at the time, they thought could have been, um, like, guilty of Mm -hmm. this. And so they didn't have enough evidence against um, Matheny to actually charge him with it. Yeah, especially if maybe, like, it kind of seems like he's sort of a random guy. Yeah, he wasn't, like, a person that would typically be around there. So I think they thought it was more of a personal thing than what it was. Mm Mm-hmm. So, when he got out of jail, he went back to talk to the old boss that, I think he worked, um, he worked for him at a pallet company when he drove, like, the forklift. Okay. So, he went back to see if he could get his job back. 
and there was a small trailer located on the property and he told the boss that he was like if you'll just let me stay here um I will like basically be like security for the place like I'll keep an eye on it make sure nobody gets in and so the boss was like okay yeah I'll do it which to me it kind of seems like he was just doing him a favor like he knows he needs somewhere to live he's probably not using this trailer so sure you can stay there if you want to make sure no hooligans get in that's fine the boss agreed gave Matheny the keys to the front gate and the main building and this pallet company for reference is on a very isolated dead-end road and Matheny said that it was perfect for what I wanted to do. So clearly, I said, clearly the five murders he did that night were not a random, isolated, like, it's, passion yeah. thing. So when he moved into the trailer, he lured two women to the trailer, which were Kathy Ann Magaziner and Kimberly, Kimberly Spicer, and killed them and cut up their bodies. And this, I wrote, is where it gets majorly fucked up. He cut up the meat from their bodies and placed it in some Tupperware bowls and then placed the bowls in the freezer. He took the rest of the remains of their body and buried them in shallow graves in the woods behind the company. So over the next couple of weekends, he opened up what he calls an open pit beef stand. So basically like a barbecue stand. Oh no. (laughs) He sold roast beef and pork sandwiches and... He mixed the meat, uh, he mixed the pork meat with the women meat that he murdered. Oh my god. You know what this reminds me of? You what? know, uh, fried green tomatoes? Yes, movie? that's exactly what it reminded me of. Yeah. For those of you who haven't seen or read the book, Fried Green Tomatoes, essentially, uh, the woman is getting beat by her abusive husband, so yes. her friend... Uh, ends up killing him like when he because the man's trying to like kill the wife and so they kill the man on accident and then in order to not get in trouble they basically serve his serve his body at a part like a barbecue restaurant in the south it's a very interesting movie it stars kathy bates i'd recommend it's a very good movie it's kind of sad too it is kind of sad but it's not as sad as like steel magnolias true So, he was serving these people actual human meat in these pork sandwiches. And he said everything was going well. People were, a lot of people were eating the sandwiches and liked them. But he ran out of what he referred to as his special meat, which is just terrible. So, since he ran out of his meat, he decided to lure another woman back to his trailer named Rita Kemper to what he said was to kill her to get her meat again. Which is so weird to me because I feel like if you're, like, cannibals want to eat the meat themselves. Mm-hmm. Why is he wanting to, like, feed it to other people? Yeah. Unless he gets, like, some sort of, like, arousal from yeah. watching people eat it. And, like, knowing that he's, like, pulled one over on them. I don't know. So, when he got uh, Rita back to his place, he ripped off her clothes and started beating her. He said that she was screaming and fighting him throughout the whole ordeal, and that he turned away from her for a split second, and in that second, she was able to run out the door of the trailer, and there was an eight-foot fence with barbed wire on top that surrounded the whole company property, so she was running. But luckily, there was a stack of pallets next to the fence, about 10 feet high, so she ran 
jumped on, like climbed up the pallets and jumped over the other side of the fence. And so she was able to run to the road. And luckily, a man in a pickup truck saw her and she was able to get in the truck. Oh my God. So he drove her to a nearby gas station and they called the police. Now, this point, this next part varies from what actually happened. But I'll mention why I think it varies. So, Matheny then said, at this point, he knew the cops were coming to get him. So, he didn't try to run. Instead, he grabbed the woman's clothes, went to, the, to unlock the gate to the property. And when the cops arrived, he basically was just like, yes, I did it. Take me to jail. Almost like a, he thinks he's some sort of like, I don't, you know, it seems like a big ego move. Yeah. And so... They immediately began questioning him, he said, and he confessed all that he had done. And for a month, um, they took him, they kept taking him back to, like, the trailer and to places under the bridge to where he had committed the crimes to try to, like, collect evidence and, like, get the bodies, locate the bodies. He only buried, he said he only buried two women on the property, but he had placed their remains in seven different locations. And so it took them a long time to find, like, Like the the whole whole body. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess it was just, like, bones mostly at that point. I don't know. And during his confession, he said that his only regret was not killing his ex-wife. That's what I was, that's what I thought he was eventually going to do. Which is why I'm, I'm just a little confused about, I mean, I guess I'm not confused, but I'm also, like, was it just, like, the first night you were like, well, didn't find her under the bridge, so... Well, I think he says, like, maybe it's, it started out that way, but he says that his killings ended up as a passion for the taste of blood and that the overwhelming sense of power that one gets from taking another life. Okay. So, I think at first he wanted to kill his ex-wife, but then he realized, like, the power he could have from killing people, and that's why he did it. Yeah. And so at the end of telling his story, he says that if you ever see an open pit beef stand, you need to think about his about the story behind it before taking a bite. And then, literally on Murderpedia, after he says that, it says that he laughed and it says, ha ha. Gross. Which is awful. And if you read, like, the Murderpedia, like... He, it puts in, like, the transcription that he laughs during the telling of this story, which just makes it just god-awful. Could, could you imagine had you stopped at that bee stand? I think I would just have to go to the hospital and ask them to give me an entirely new stomach. <laughs> I think I would have desperately needed therapy for the rest of my life. Like, I, like I probably would have had to go, like, vegan immediately. I know, because how can... I mean, God. I mean, I've eaten... St- you know what? Not eating beef anymore. Chicken. I feel like you can't. Can you? Can you fake chicken? Can you I don't fake know. Chicken. I mean, I think vegetarians certainly try to. They'll, <laughs> they'll give it to you, and you're like, "This this ch- chicken. It tastes a little weird." I was so mad the other day. I accidentally bought a vegan frozen dinner. It's, no. I wasn't mad because it didn't taste good. Like it tasted fine, but like I looked at the chicken and I was like, "This seems a little weird." It was just that it didn't fill me up because it didn't yeah. have, like, any meat in it. Oh. Um, which, like, had I known I had bought a vegan one, I would have, you know, packed some nuts or something. Yeah. I was like, God, I'm starving. Oh. I know. I've tried to do, like, vegetarian lunch and stuff. But, I mean, 
it just I just feel like I have to keep eating because I'm still so hungry and sometimes you think vegetarian recipes are gonna have like less calories and everything sometimes they have way more calories than I'm expecting but I'm still not full yeah okay so you're thinking this story's awful and obviously it is and so that was his account of what he said happened but there's parts of the story that how he describes it is just not, like, what actually happened. And so I thought these differences were important to point out because I think it really points to the fact that he is just a pathological liar. Like, he lied about his childhood. He maybe have lied about where he went to, like, serve in the military. So according to the reports, the first person that he actually, which not all of the murders get, he actually gets charged for. So, like, for the first person that he actually killed was Kathy Ann Magaziner. This was the first one he was actually charged with in 1994. And this was one of the women that he lured back to his place. And it, in the official report, it says that he buried her body um, in a shallow grave that, in the company that he worked for. And it said that he strangled her, and the body remained, though, in that place for more than two years. Good God. And so, from the way that I thought about it, at first, I thought that he had, like, killed her and the other woman, like, the same night. Yeah, that's kind of what it made it seem like, like, maybe they were, like, hanging out, and then he was like, oh, come on, ladies. Yeah. And then, it does say that he did murder Randall Brewer and Randy Piker, um, which were the guys on the mattress, but there wasn't evidence to charge him. Which also, I went into the Wikipedia because they gave names of the victims, and he gave no names because mm-hmm. he doesn't give a shit. So, and then November of 1996, so he killed the Kathy um, Magaziner in 1994. He didn't kill the other woman until 1996 by stabbing her. And then this is the one where possibly he used her, like, body for meat mm-hmm. because he said he used the two bodies of the women for meat mm-hmm. but they died two years apart and so they're like okay if he used a body for meat it was the second woman and then in december of 1996 is when he kidnapped rita kemper which was the woman that was able to escape and the and what had actually happened she said was that she refused to have sex with him and so she ran out of the trailer trailer he chased her and beat her and then dragged her back into the trailer and attempted to rape her. And she says that he said to her that he was going to kill her and bury her in the woods with the other girls. And then she was able to escape and contact the police. But the reason that he was actually caught, it was not that night, apparently, according to, like, the main record, was he was, he was asked a friend to help bury the body of Spicer, in which he had been hiding at the factory since he murdered her. And so the friend reported this to the police. He was like, my friend is trying to get me to help him bury somebody. And so only then was he arrested and charged. Interesting. So what I think happened is that he was, when he gave his confession, it was... Well, the confession that he ended up giving, that long one, was kind of, like, after the fact. Mm-hmm. It was, like, a few years after he had, like, actually been in prison, I think. And so, I think he had probably changed the story up in his own mind mm-hmm. to make it sound like, I did all this, all this shit happened, and then I just gave myself over. Now, here's a question. Because I feel like 
anything he says, we can't really trust. No. Do we, like, have they proven that the meat was, in fact, human meat? Or do you think that on some level, he could have just told people this to fuck with them? I think that that is a possibility because I don't... At that point, they wouldn't have even been able to prove if it was human meat because if... Whatever he said he was selling, it was gone. Mm Because he clearly said, I ran out. So there wasn't any, like, way, I don't know, that they could get it and test it. And so I think at some point he probably just said that to mess with people. And he may have actually opened up a barbecue stand. And then after the fact, he was like, I'm going to fuck with them and say that I put the human meat in. But he still could have very well done that. Mm -hmm. There's really, you don't know. Yeah, you don't know. You still wouldn't want to have eaten it. And so, after he was arrested, he, you know, he began confessing, and he actually did lead the police to the areas where the victim's remains were. But in the end, he was only charged for three of the victim's murders. He was charged for the kidnapping assault of Kemper in 1997 and given 50 years. And he was sentenced to death in 1998 for the murder of Spicer. And then, in 1998, he pleaded guilty for the murder of Magaziner, and he received a life sentence for her. But in 2000, his death sentence was overturned and reduced to life without parole. But in 2017, he was found dead in his prison cell at the Western Correctional Institution in Cumberland, Maryland at the age of 62. Did he just, like, die of natural causes? I guess so. It didn't say anything particular, which, I mean, I don't know, he could have died by suicide, but they didn't say particularly what happened. Probably natural causes because, um... I don't know, he was very overweight and did drugs all of his life, so I'm sure that, and I'm sure he didn't stop that in prison, so I'm sure that had something to do with it. But this case, so when I was researching, I was going through his account, and I was like, great, this is all I'm going to need. Well, then I was like, let me just check the Wikipedia, and that is when I realized it was very different in some parts. So, if it seems kind of jumbled, I apologize because once I started reading it, it got real confusing. But basically, the gist of it is he murdered way too many people and was a terrible person and clearly was a pathological, dirty liar. Yeah, that's pretty much what I got out of it. Yeah. But also, in my case, I found that there were some inconsistencies with the Wikipedia and uh, with the documentary, but I was mm-hmm. like, mm. I feel like I believed the documentary more, not to discredit Wikipedia. Hey, they're having their thing right now, so go donate $2 <laughs> for them. But yeah, uh, I also was like, um... And I think the Wikipedia was probably correct, because the way that he was at least caught in the end, I think that it was actually that he was caught later on, like after the fact, not mm-hmm. like immediately on that night. Um, and so... But also I feel like sometimes with Wikipedia... Because it's written by random people. Yeah. They're just sort of like, this is what's happened. Yeah. Like, this is what, this is just what happened. Whereas, like, if you, like, look at different other websites, you can kind of be like, you know, you kind of, you add a little bit more flavor to it. And you also make the victims seem like actual humans. Yes. um, Which I feel is very important because sometimes on Wikipedia, they're like, oh, yep, this is what happened. Yes. And so, um, if you know anything about this case that I told and you're listening and you want to correct me please feel free because I've actually been interested in this case since I heard the True Crime Garage episode on it like years ago. And so when we're doing Hungry Murders, I knew I wanted to talk about this guy. Um, not this guy, because 
hate him. Just fuck him. But just talk about it in general because I just, it just really, you know, some of them, like, some murdered stuff just really catches your attention for some odd reason. Yes. They just, sometimes they just resonate with me and I just, like, can't stop thinking about it. Because, like, the main serial killer, like, known serial killer that resonates with me the most is BTK. Mm-hmm. And I just cannot. One day, if we do cover him, I think we should, like, both cover him together. There's too much in that case for Way it too to much. be, like, us trying to shove two different things yeah. into an episode. Anyways, well, thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for bearing uh, through that. Yes, I know that that was a little bit rocky. Me and Taylor are both tired from the weekend, uh, tired from just existing. This is true. Also, I can definitely feel that the seasons are changing, and I feel like my allergies are a little bit acting up. Yeah. Uh, well, please rate and review us on iTunes, five stars preferably. <laughs> you can say something nice, please. Please say something nice. Um, if you're going to have criticism, make sure it's constructive. Yeah. And if you're going to do that, just email it to us. Don't yeah. put it out there for the world to hear. God. And you know what? If you do want to email us, you can email us at this is going to sound weird at gmail.com. Yes. Please email us your stories. Yes. Our Weird Wednesday episodes come out the last Wednesday of every month. Yes, they do. So next week's theme is unsolved unsolved anything anything paranormal stuff that's unsolved true uh, crime that's math unsolved pro- math, math problems <laughs> I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna come in with a giant math problem and read it <laughs> they'll be like ah can't solve it <laughs> solve it that's the end it's gonna be a mini episode <laughs> very teeny tiny but, um, don't forget to follow us on instagram at gonna sound weird pod and on twitter at gonna, gonna sound weird, weird. uh yeah that's about it. Um, yep. Please come back next week. It'll be better. I <laughs> It'll promise. be better. We'll get more sleep. Um, I would have started my new job by now, so hopefully I'll be. I'll be. Ha- I'll probably. Hopefully I'll be happier. You'll be. You'll just be refreshed. And I will. Renewed. I'll be so refreshed. At least I'll be eager because I'll be like, shit, change of pace. I guess. Honestly. All right. Well, this this episode was pretty weird. <laughs> that was a shit show. That was weird. But um, hopefully next week will be. Less weird or maybe even more weird. Yep. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye.